Hi, and welcome to Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here at Cause Pods, we have one simple mission to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes. Whether it's a nonprofit they work with, a charity they support, a social justice campaign they're championing, a medical condition they're battling, or someone who's just looking to make a positive impact on their local community, state, country, or the world. These are podcasters with a positive mission. Along with raising awareness for our guests' favorite cause, we're also going to see if we can raise some money to support their efforts. So make sure you check out the show notes for each episode at causepods.org to learn more about what they're doing and how to help them achieve their goals. Today on the podcast, we are taking you to Texas, and we have on a very, very interesting woman who has a fantastic podcast and more importantly, a fantastic cause that she is bringing the fight to each and every day. She highlights it on the podcast, but it's her passion and she works on it all the time. We are speaking with Brandy Voth. She is the host and the person behind The Power Project podcast. You can learn more at the-powerproject.com. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us. And I know it's it's been a trying day there for you. Uh, so we really appreciate you taking the time to come on CosPods today. Hey, Matthew, thanks so much for having me on. I, I'm honored and privileged. And, you know, it, it. we've had a trying few days and, and we're, you know, you come to me to Texas via Georgia and South Carolina with some, <laughs> some broke down issues with a motor home. However, I, I think it's really important to be on here today with you and speak about this. And I think that Sometimes when we have an important message to get out there, there are obstacles that come along the way that I refuse to let set me back and keep me from sharing this with you and your audience. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, no. And, and thank you for, for tackling some of those obstacles. And I mean, no one needs to know the details, but we had a, a little tech squabble as we tried to get things going, but we are going to make this work. And as far as you, the listeners are concerned, this is going to sound Amazing. So, Brandy, let's start by talking about first the podcast. What is the Power Project podcast? And then let's get into how this podcast really fuels your cause in life. Okay. So, the Power Project podcast is a platform and also an online community where I inspire women to lead purpose filled lives and own their God given power. However, it's not a place that I want people to see blog post and think, oh, that's great. You know, that's so good what she's doing. It's not a place where I want them to see me encouraging them and feel like I've patted them on the back. It really is a place where I call women to action. And my goal every single week is that that one woman that is sitting at home on the couch that has a call on her heart, whether it is starting a business or starting a nonprofit or chasing a dream, whatever it is that she is wanting to accomplish and do, my focus and my hope is that that episode is going to inspire her to get up off the couch and take action. And when I was developing the podcast, I was in a place where I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. We have several different types of businesses. And my main business is that I have a skincare franchise and I have a team of women that I train to build their own sales teams. And I had encountered quite a bit of limited mindset of women that just didn't really believe in themselves, women who had lost themselves, women who thought it was too late in life and they had given up on hopes and dreams. And meanwhile, I had become at the same time 
involved in the fight against human trafficking. And I had become really involved with some incredible people that were doing massive things to fight this global epidemic. I was meeting women that said, hey, I'm going to start this nonprofit and I'm going to build aftercare homes for traffic survivors. And then I was meeting survivors themselves that hadn't slept more than two days in a year's time period under a roof. And they were taking the steps to get help, to walk through programs, to do things that were so hard. And I thought, you know, the best way I can show the people with limited mindset that don't believe in themselves that they can do it is to literally show them people that are doing it. So that's my hope with the podcast every single day. So you brought up something that is, you know, horrific that should not be happening in the world today, but unfortunately it still does. And, you know, we're dealing with a a pretty famous and terrible case of it in the news with the Epstein trial that has been brought back to life. I'm curious, how did human trafficking sort of fall on your radar? Like where, you know, this isn't something that the average person confronts or deals with or thinks even exists in their community or anywhere near them. I'm just so curious, like how did this come into your purview? That's a really great question. And I would love to tell you that from a very early age, I had a heart for it and knew that I wanted to do this, but that would be a giant lie. I have always had a heart for mission work. I was an international studies major in school, and I focused on women and children and socioeconomic development issues in developing countries. So when I look back, I can see where the pieces line up. You don't necessarily know the destination, but it's beautiful to look back over your journey. However, I always had a heart for Africa mission trips, you know, orphanages. And I really thought that was going to be my why in life and my purpose. And this is how I was going to serve the community as a whole. And I ended up going to Australia for a business trip. And while in Australia, I saw some billboards about immigrants being targeted for labor trafficking. And I saw a couple of posters in an airport about children, missing children being trafficked. And my immediate thought was, oh my gosh, Australia is shady. You know, this is crazy that they have this problem over here. And I came home and this just stayed on my heart. And I started really researching, like, what is human trafficking? What does it look like? And I started reading articles and and researching. And what I found was that what I thought was a problem in Australia or a problem in a developing country was actually happening in my backyard. And it was one of the greatest epidemics in our country that people don't know about. So I'm a believer, and it was all God. It was nothing I wanted to be involved with. It seemed to me dark and seedy and dangerous. It seemed much more glamorous for me to go adopt an orphan from Africa (laughs) at the time. I wanted nothing to do with this, and I really ran from the cause for several months until it just became really aware to me that this cause was not letting go of my heart and I needed to pursue it and I needed to get involved. So when you say it was in your backyard, like, was there some direct exposure? Did you see it on the news? Like, how did you realize that it touched so close to home? So when I started digging into it and knew that I needed to be involved with it, I started speaking with local organizations. I found A21, which is Christine Kane's anti-human trafficking organization organization. It's a global organization 
they have done the most incredible work you could ever imagine in just 10 years of being an organization. They're really leading the front. They start with a grassroots level with taking people in your local community, teaching people what it looks like, educating, and then they're fighting it on a global level, both in the United States, in Greece, in Thailand, all over the world, there are stations. I was looking at it there at a global level and still not really seeing how it affected my local community until I reached out to a local crisis center that started telling me what it looks like and the problem with trafficking and the fact that when law enforcement doesn't know what to look for, they don't know how to identify it. When they're not trained to advocate for victims, a victim can't make an outcry. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding it, and it's happening in so many communities, but people just don't have the resources to stop it. And so there's a large casino that is about five miles from my house. I'm in Texas. And so when I found out that that casino was one of the biggest hotbeds for underage children that get brought from Dallas to that casino and shipped up and down 35 past my house, I knew that this was something that had to happen. And with the internet and technology, it has made this a really, really accessible crime. And it's happening everywhere. It's happening in suburban America. It's happening in your cities. It is one of the most horrific, horrendous things I've ever learned about humanity. I knew that I had to be involved at both the local and the global level. So somebody hearing this and they're thinking, well, I don't live near a casino. What are the things that we have to look for in our own communities to know whether or not this is happening? I mean, again, going back to the reference of the, the Jeffrey Epstein case, I mean, this is, it's unfortunately prolific. And so what can we as folks who aren't connected or aren't aware or hearing this for the first time and just curious, what are the things that we should look for? What are the signs that you know, would indicate that something is a foul in our community? So I think that the number one question I get asked to start that out with is people always want to say, is it really happening here? Is the number one question I get from anyone anywhere. And the answer is, if you have the internet or a cell phone or your children have the internet or a cell phone, yes, it's happening anywhere that the internet and a cell phone is. And it's really turned into a system of online predators where It doesn't look like the movie Taken. That is the one thing I want every single person listening to the sound of my voice to hear. It does not look like some scary guy hiding in a parking lot with a van. While, yes, those may be some small situations, it looks like someone that builds a relationship with this victim and finds a way for an in. So if you have kids that are doing online video gaming, that is the number one place that predators are hanging out because they know that there is not visibility for law enforcement to get in there and see what conversations are being had in the chat rooms, in the online video game chat rooms. So they hang out there, and they present themselves as a teenage kid, and they build a relationship with these kids that are playing video games with them. Then the second that a kid has a, a bad day, oh, my mom was so mean to me today, oh, I got bullied, this person is in saying, man, I totally get that. I went through that too. Like, let's go. Why don't we go to the park and we'll talk about it? And that's where this person doesn't look like they're kidnapping them. They've built a relationship with them. I personally mentor women that are adults 
and they come to an aftercare program that we have where they go through a nine to 12 month program and are restored. We treat them in a whole encompassing manner to help them re-engage in life in a, in a healthy manner. The signs you can look for with, with a woman that's been sexually exploited or trafficked, if she's not allowed to come and go at, you know, on her own free time, if she's not keeping money, if she has multiple cell phones, with kids, you can see the change in behavior. If your kid is spending a lot of time online, you need to know who they're speaking to. If your kid has friends, obviously, that they're meeting or hanging out with, you need to absolutely know what's going on. I have one guy that has an organization called Ranch Hand Rescue. He's building the first ever aftercare home for traffic boys. This is a major problem that no one is really addressing. He's working very closely with the governor's office in Texas. And I'll just give you an instance of what to look for. He had a lady, he has a counseling center where he does counseling and also takes in abused animals and marries the counseling together. And he had a boy that was 14 years old. Mom brought him in and said, you know, he's really, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's not like my normal kid. He's out of control. I need you to figure out what's going on. So the first question they would ask there is, is there anyone new in his life that hasn't been there before that he's hanging out with? And her answer was, well, you know, he did meet this one guy that he's played some video games with, and um, he met him at the park, and he's 30 years old. He's kind of like a big brother to him. That's a huge red flag. And the definition of human trafficking is the sell of a body in, you know, in exchange for funds through force, fraud, or coercion. So a lot of times you'll hear when the girls are older, right? Because we know with kids, people's, people have a whole different perception about the child trafficking versus sex trafficking. And what we're trying to get people to see is there's always some trauma, some stem of a trauma that leads them to be able to be manipulated and coerced by this person that controls them. So basically, is the girl free to leave? Does she keep her own money? Otherwise, that's a good sign. Or a bad sign. Exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a bad sign. Yeah. And I've seen them. I saw a girl that was kept in a house. Um, she was trafficked for seven years in the suburbs of Houston. She came from a great family and just met the wrong guy when she was at college who tricked her into believing he was going to make her a model, which is a very, very common statement. She was then put into a house with 12 other girls, trafficked for seven years. And when I sat down and talked with her about give me an insight, how do I let people see the difference of the the preconceived notion of prostitution versus being sex trafficked. And she said, bottom line, are they free to go? Do they keep their own money? She said, from the outside world, I was free to go. I went to work at the club every day because she was trafficked through the strip club, which is very common. She said, I drove a BMW. I lived in a gated community on an 18-hole golf course in the suburbs. But anytime I tried to leave... He beat me, he cut my hair, he drug me through the yard, and he had a database in his computer with all the addresses of my family members that he threatened to kill. I can't even. I mean, I just, just the fact that, like you said, this is happening to someone who is living in what others would view as the ideal life with the nice car and the nice home and the nice community and the, the gates and everything. Just It's just so shocking how prevalent it is in what seems like normal society. 
And I don't like to give facts and figures because so much of trafficked victims never make an outcry. So much is never reported. So much changes from day to day. But I will give you this, and this is a pretty accurate number. As of two years ago, 79,000 children were being trafficked in the state of Texas. Wow. Just in the state of Texas. Just in the state of Texas. That's that's horrific. So I'm curious, going back to the sort of the connection that you made to this awfulness that's happening in the world and how you're trying to empower some of these victims, in particular some of these women, like what has been some of the, the case studies, I guess, or some of the examples of folks who have found solace in what you do on the podcast, specifically as it relates to, to this stuff? I cover a lot of areas in life, right? And so I had to sit back myself and go, okay, how does my business coaching and my, my mentoring survivors and my inspiring women to you know follow their purpose and lead a purpose-filled life, how does that all come under one umbrella? And it really, honestly, what I receive from the women who listen to my podcast that maybe just started out being inspired or by something I was doing, right? And the encouragement I was giving them or the women that I'm mentoring in the house where I'm, I'm teaching a class to, it really comes down to helping women see themselves through the eyes of their creator, the way they were created. I have one girl that she has like major heartstrings and she, she pulls on my heartstrings and she's a girl that I mentored in the house when I went in, she wanted nothing to do with me. She had been through major trauma her whole life. She didn't want to do the class. And I watched her transformation through the process. And I watched her come to me and tell me after attending a retreat that a volunteer had provided for the girls in the house to go to. And she said, Miss Brandy, she said, I just need to tell you what happened this weekend. I fell in love with Jesus and I saw myself the way he made me, and I don't need a man to fulfill me. And just the restoration of this girl. Now listen, the odds and the chances of women, kids with this type of trauma going through a crisis center, going through an aftercare program, and returning to the world, and staying on course, and not ever falling back into a trap with some people that they've ran around with before. Okay, we know the odds. I know that. I know that they may go through multiple aftercare programs before they're fully restored. However, I can walk away saying that I know at the time that I was there in their life, I served them the way that I was called to serve them. And I hope that they remember those words down the road. I hope so too. And I hope everybody hearing this who, who, you know, one, they'll want to check out the Power Project first and foremost, but two, even if they don't, that they just take heart to those words, that they just realize that we all have our potential and no one deserves to be treated any less than, than others. It's such a simple, concise message, and it is one that we fail so many people on. It's basic human rights. And thankfully, with a podcast like yours where you're bringing awareness to causes. Thankfully for my podcast, listen, I'm one person. I can't change the world by myself. Like if I'm going to move mountains, God's got to send people to help me move those mountains. Thank goodness in 2019 with all the ugliness around us, I can sit here and use this piece of technology 
to bring awareness to someone that either A, knows nothing about this and wants to get involved with the cause, or B, is trapped in some type of hell that they need out of and they can find a way to contact A21 organization to help them or Refuge for Women to help them or Ranch Hand Rescue. And so as long as I have the breath and the means to do it, I will utilize that platform to bring awareness. I think that's awesome. Now I I have to, I mean, I just feel like I have to get into some of the, you know, some of the cause pod traditional questions. And so just to quickly pivot a little bit, you know, why, why podcasting, why this medium for spreading the message versus some of the other uh, ways that you could have done it. Divine design. I mean, I listen to podcasts for like, I'm a huge podcast junkie. That's what's always on in my car. And I was writing a book and working on getting a blog up and running. And I just really thought I needed to do a podcast. I have no radio background. I am not fond of the sound of my voice. I'm very aware that I'm nasally and raspy. And um, I didn't, I, I'm not techie at all. Like my, your podcast sounds amazing. Mine's not the quality, <laughs> but content, man, I've got the content. It just, it was put on my heart that I was supposed to start a podcast and I had put it off and put it off. I'd had a microphone for several months, but just couldn't pull the trigger on launching. And I walked into the Apple store to get help with my phone, had a nice young man helping me. He asked if I was a business owner and if, could I use some Apple resources? I tell him about some few businesses I have. I've got a podcast. I could probably use some help with that, that I'm about to launch. And he said, you know, when are you going to launch? I'm like, I don't know. For some reason, I've held myself back for months on launching this. And he said, listen, someone in the world needs to hear what you have to say. So I'm going to ask you again, when are you going to launch? And this was like August 27th or something. And I said, September 7th. And I launched, I believe, on September 6th or September 7th. So it was just divine design, man. That's all I can tell you. Sometimes you just have to, you just follow the path that's out in front of you and, and it works out the way it's supposed to work out. So then, I mean, I, I suppose that would be sort of your advice for others who are in a space, who are looking to have a positive impact on the world, who are trying to get the message out there and who are thinking, should I do a podcast? Is it complicated? I mean, besides just the like, go do it. What other advice, whether it's on the tech side, the marketing side, like what would be the one thing you would say to someone thinking about this? Like, this will help you get it done. So I think for starters, done is better than perfect. And even if it's terrible in the beginning, you can build on it. You can get better. Google was my best friend. And I'm talking like Google, like, hey, Siri, like what is a metadata? Hey, Siri, what's an SEO? You know, I mean, literally when I say I'm not techie, I needed some help. And I laughed about the fact that I looked like my 70-year-old grandma trying to learn how to use an iPhone to learn even how to operate GarageBand. So my advice is find someone who's done it that's willing to offer some information to you. There's plenty of podcasts out there that tell you about getting started with a podcast. There's plenty of YouTube videos. And the one thing I would go back and do differently, I didn't schedule things ahead of time because I... I had topics of subjects I wanted to do, but I didn't have guests lined out on a calendar on a schedule. So I really ran for the first several months like a chicken 
with my head cut off. So you can alleviate a little pressure on yourself if you can just sit down and create a content calendar. You know, be flexible with it. You can change it, but know what direction you're heading in. Very, very cool. Well, you should check out The Power Project. It's the-powerproject.com. More importantly, if you want to help out in this really worthy cause that Brandy is fighting for, trying to raise awareness, trying to help folks out, trying to get them you know, into a better situation, uh, we're going to set up a link so that we can send some donations to Refuge for Women North Texas. If you want to check it out on your own, we'll obviously have a link in the show notes, but you can also go to rfwntx.org, the initials for Women for Women North, Refuge for Women North Texas. Org. Brandy, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for making this happen today. Thank you for what you're doing. And thanks for joining us here on Cause Pods. Thank you so much, Matthew. And thank you for what you're doing. It makes a difference. And I think that we can all make a difference together. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. Again, if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support their favorite efforts. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And remember, if you have a cause pod and want to join me for an interview, please check out causepods.org and fill out the interview request form. If approved, we'll schedule you for a chat and share the amazing work you're doing with the cause pod audience. Thanks again, and see you next time on Cause Pods. Cause Pods.